Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. And I'm Sam. Howdy, Sam. Hi there, Don. How you doing? I'm doing uh, well. I was recently at the coast. Mm, which coast? At the East Coast. Ah, okay. This was before tornadoes. And hurricanes. And, and hurricanes uh, pelted and us. And flying sharks. And it was beautiful weather, and I went into a convenience store. Oh! And um, <laughs> I saw there the most beautiful bottle of wine, the kind of wine that I... You, the, I didn't used to drink this, but I drank stuff like this. This was called Flashpoint Cinnamon Wine, 32 proof. It had a, um, t- a little quote up at the top that said, there'll be a hot time in the old town tonight. And I looked at that stuff, and I picked it up and was looking at it and going, man, that's exactly what I used to drink. I could do it. And the uh, girl who was working behind the counter said, don't buy it. <laughs> and I was going. Now, was yeah. that because she had had it, or because she knows you? There, there, there was. She could a, tell. There was a lot of experience in her eyes, and I was like, going, "Well, I bet it'll blow the top of your head off." She said, "Yeah, it'll make you sick, and it tastes awful." So I didn't buy it, and I'm grateful that I I don't have to buy stuff like that. I would have spent the next three days. You know, it used to be. A great trade-off to get just snot-slinging drunk and then spend the whole next day sick, throwing up and dying in my bed or on the couch. And, uh, you know, that was worth it. That's totally worth it. It's the price you pay. And and it's like, and by the end of the hangover, the hangover wasn't so bad, so I might as well do it again. It really wasn't that bad. No, uh uh-uh. God, it was like, you know... I and then I would go to work. Oh, so I, I wouldn't go to work. I would go to work because I, if I didn't go to work, I'd be an alcoholic. Oh, and so I had. Oh, a so you're saying I'm an alcoholic, and you yeah, want, you, you obviously were an alcoholic. Jeez. And I would go to work when I really should have gone to the emergency. Room. <laughs> <laughs> That's <awful>. funny. <laughs> it was awful. Well, we have a guest today, Sam. We do have a guest. Hi, guest. Who are you? Hey, guys. My name is John. Hey, John. Glad you joined us. Really happy to be here. John, welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club. When did you get sober? June 22nd, 2013. And what was going on with you that brought you to an AA meeting? That's the last place I wanted to go. (laughs) You and me both. It was funny you brought up that thing about the wine. I was thinking about my last time drinking and, um, you know, I had a little period of sobriety. I wasn't in the program or anything, but, uh, I put together about two years and I was with some friends who had never seen me drink before. And, uh, I kind of told myself like, I'll drink some Bud Lights tonight. And, and I really planned it on being just tonight. It wouldn't be a big deal. And that drunk lasted about two and a half more years. And uh, by the end of it, I went from having all the great material things in the world to being fairly happy to having a pretty good life to absolutely nothing. You know, when I got sober, I came off the streets. Um, I was homeless. I, wow. I barely didn't have clothes. You know, oh, when, so when you're saying that was one long 
drunk pretty much. That's pretty much what it turned into, yeah. Yeah, it went from drink that one night turned into drinking every night to drinking every morning to the only time I was sober was when I was incarcerated. What was your drinking like before that? Pretty similar. Um, I was always a, a drunk and a drug addict, honestly. When I started using I was and drinking, I was really young. I was 13, 14, and, and it's pretty difficult for young kids like that to get their hands on alcohol. So I was one of the ones that uh, if you had something cool, I would try it. You know, and, and typically if I tried it, I liked it and I would keep doing it as, as frequently as possible. So, yeah. Wow. Were you, you said you were in co- incarcerated. Is that what got you into AA? No, that's not what got me into AA. I was one of those ones early on, you know, I was like in middle school, high school and, you know, I would smoke joints with my friends. We'd drink some beers or like uh, take some pills. And I noticed that all of my friends that I was drinking and using with, they could, uh, do it on the weekends or they could do it once or twice and not really have any problems in their life. But there was something about me. Just that, do it on the weekends. They, yeah, could, they could just, do they it could on just the do it on the weekends. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't, uh, yeah. I would, I would yeah. do a drug or take a drink and, and mine just continued. I couldn't stop. Uh, and I immediately began to experience a lot of, a lot of problems in my life. And one of my friends that I, I wasn't that close with at the time, he ended up going to rehab, which was like a really big, scary thing to me. Like, oh my God, someone went to rehab. You yeah. know? And, uh, they got out and they actually uh, contacted me. I guess they saw uh, some similarities in my drinking and their drinking. And they, uh, they brought me to a meeting, you know. Uh, how, so how old were you? 14. 14 for your first meeting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did you say thank you very much, but I, I don't need this? <laughs> I didn't. I well, my initial thought was that you guys are a cult, and this is yeah. really freaky. But uh, you know, that was also no, what. That's interesting. What What was your impression of AA like when you came in at fourteen? What did you think was going on? Yeah, and and start with like the meeting. So so yeah. was it was it a bunch of like eighty year old men or was it? Yeah. You know? So you know, being fourteen, anyone even in their thirties was like an old dude for me. <laughs> right. Know? Right. And, uh, right. Yeah. And, and honestly, too, it wasn't AA. It was NA that I started off in. Okay. Um, All right. I remember showing up. It was in this little little cafe that had an addict, like the finished addict. The the meeting was actually called Addicts in the Attic. I love that. Um, Addicts in the Attic. Oh, my God. (laughs) It was in this little town south of Charlotte called Waxhall. And, um, man, there was, like, some biker dudes there, and there were a lot of dudes with gray hair, and there were, like, some just kind of older women. And everyone was, like, giving these huge hugs out and just, like, really embracing each other. And I remember we went upstairs, and there was, How many people? Probably 30, Mm -hmm. you know? I remember s- the the chairs being in a circle was my initial like okay this is weird mm-hmm. you know and then like the prayer and I was super against God when I when I got there you know and everyone was like praying and like holding hands and stuff and I was like this is this is not going to be for me mm-hmm. you know and, and I think that was really my first initials like I do not belong here in any mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Did you did you like stay for the whole meeting? And, I did. I, okay. I absolutely did. I think even better. Um, so my friend that took me, like, uh, I really liked him, and you know, we had a pretty good connection. We talked a lot about drug addiction and alcoholism prior to going to the meeting, and I think I even told my parents what I was doing. Oh wow! You know, because yeah, I was in a lot of trouble with them, and and they figured anything this could possibly help me with 
with my addiction would, would be positive. You know, I think the coolest thing about it was that it was my first or second meeting. There was a group of guys that, that kind of grabbed me up and were, and asked me like what I was doing there. You know, and I told them, I was like, you know, I think I've got a drug and alcohol problem. And they talked to me about their drinking. And that was the first time I was really able to relate to somebody, you know, regarding the way I was drinking and using drugs. Cause I thought I was pretty much an alien compared to everyone else. You know, and I had those mm-hmm. weird thoughts too, is like, uh, no one drinks or uses drugs the way I do. And I also thought that like, man, everyone drinks and uses drugs the way I do. <laughs> yeah. you know? like, right. It yeah. was one of those right. really weird things. But that was the first time that I was really able to relate to another person when it came to like drinking and doing drugs. They, they talked about the way they felt, the things that would happen to them once they started. They talked about the consequences of their drinking and using and how even the worst of the consequences wouldn't stop them from yeah, doing it. Absolutely. Know? And I think even most importantly, they talked about the sincere desire to stop and to start doing the right thing and the complete inability to do so. And so then you drank for another how many years? God, I got sober at twenty two, so what's yeah, that? yeah. Okay. Eight, eight years. Yeah. Yeah. So did that uh, plant a seed? You, oh, absolutely. You As a matter of fact, I stayed sober for about six months that time. I uh, I worked some steps and everything. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, I did. So a, you were going to meetings regularly for yeah, a Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I did 90 and 90. And, um, wow. Yeah, I did a fourth and fifth okay. step. Lied like hell on it, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> did it. Yeah. No, you didn't. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, you, no, you didn't. You're right there. Yeah. You you did the you filled out the form, but the information wasn't correct. Well, the funny part about it is, I was so young and so inexperienced. You, you know, haven't really had consequences much, had you? Well, I had some family consequences and and high school related consequences, but everyone around me was talking about doing these crazy things, robbing people, smoking crack, you know, like all this stuff, like breaking in cars and houses. And I'd never done anything like that. So I actually, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, So I lied on my fourth and fifth step to make me look a lot cooler. Oh, that was okay. a big thing. Yeah, especially like on my like sex inventory, there was definitely like ten women that didn't exist. That were <laughs> on there, you know, like, I just wanted to look cool and fit in. That yeah, was, that totally. Was a big part of I, yeah. I really get yeah. that. I get that. So. It's funny how when you get when you've been sober a little while. When I was drinking, I would minimize my drinking all the time. And then there was a period of time in recovery where I would maximize my drinking to appear for everyone else. Oh, yeah, I was a terrible drink. I, I mean, I would, like, go for it, how, how what a bad drunk I was. Mm-hmm. I've experienced yeah. that, too. And in and, and that time that I was active in CMA, Crystal Meth Anonymous, you know, I have no experience with meth whatsoever. And I never purported that I did. But it was one of those things of my, uh, I felt like a goody two shoes around these guys. And, and yeah, it was just so one of those things of, along. yeah, mm-hmm. you know, you're not bad enough, but mm-hmm. you, you got to, so, so my alcohol stories got really good. But that's the stuff that was really hard for, for me to admit that I was an alcoholic because I was not as bad as a lot of the people that I met in AA. And that was, so that was my disease was going. Well, you're not really an alcoholic. You, you know, you haven't lost your driver's license. I never lost my driver's license. Well, yeah. well, so, John didn't either because he didn't have one. He was fourteen, <laughs> right? So that's got to be really hard at fourteen. It was difficult. I think a lot of it. Um, my whole life as well. Like I feel like I've never had a really just good grasp of what was really going on around me. 
you know, so I was in NA, you know, I was working these steps, I was hanging out, I was going to meetings, I was at the point where I was ready to sponsor other people, so I thought, I still just didn't have a good grasp of what was happening, you know, mm -hmm. um, and long story short as well, I, uh, my experience was, is like, these people told me that if I ever go back out, it's going to get a lot worse, and naturally at that point, I was like, oh, it couldn't get worse and, than how it was, and uh, oh, Lord. I was on my skateboard, I slipped and fell, I tore my rotator cuff, the doctor gave me a bottle of pills, and uh, I went back out. You know, and those mm. people were absolutely right, you know, and, and I tried a bunch of times to come back between then and, and 22 and just none of them stuck. You know, I just had that thing that just would keep going, keep going, you know, even after some extended sobriety or whatever, sobriety, I guess you could call it. That, uh, you know, I heard that called uh, and I love it. It, it, it. it described my coming into the rooms and it was I never got traction. You know, once I got in, I mean, I kept on coming, I kept on coming around and, and I never could get any traction in my sobriety. I would always drink again. That happened to you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I could definitely relate to that. And especially too. So I went to rehab for the first time. I was 16, um, going on 17. I thought that that was going to be my solution. You know, okay, I'm, I'm going to treatment. This is a, this is a real facility. This, this is going to fix me from now on. I'm, I'm going to go here. It was a three-month program. I stayed six. Not up to me. And, and I thought that that was going to fix me. I'm going to get out. I'm better now. You know, mm -hmm. and, and just like, I don't know why I didn't believe them. That wouldn't, that wouldn't have worked. But uh, they were right, you know. I, uh, I remember I got out of rehab. My, I had like two, two thoughts. Like one was I got to get a job so I can get a car so I can get out of my parents' house. And the other one was like, I got to get laid. <laughs> that was my only two thoughts that I really had. You know, and um, that's appropriate for your age. There, <laughs> it too. sounds yeah, like yeah, totally. yeah. And uh, you know, I pretty much did those two things. My best drinking and and crack friend uh, got me a job in a restaurant working with him, and uh, I met a girl who let me have sex with her, and that was all I really cared about. I think I was drunk and high again. A couple weeks didn't last long at all. So, what was happening the last time that you came in? Was it an AA meeting or an NA meeting that you went to? AA. I've, AA? I've only been in AA. Time. And and what was going on with you emotionally when that that last day to allow you to surrender this time to get traction? Yeah. Um. You know the funny thing is, truthfully, I, I didn't surrender at first. You know, I was my last day on the streets. Uh, you know, I was I had hit the same bottom that I had always hit. You know, homeless. I've got nothing. I'm trying to find someone to rob or steal from so I could keep going and. And, you know, I just, I had that like really weird thoughts. Like I cannot keep living like this, you know, but I also had the thought too, like, I can't imagine my life without drugs and alcohol. And I had been thinking about killing myself for probably over a year at that point. And that, that exact point in time seemed like a really, really good time to do it, you know? Um, and just something kind of came over me that said, nah, like give sobriety one more shot, you know? And if you blow it again, then you can kill yourself. It's fine. You know? Um, and I reached out to somebody that was in NA when I first got there. They were still there. They were still clean. They asked me if I wanted some help, and I said, yeah, and they lined me up to go to detox. And uh, that was my last day drinking. Wow. Yeah. So your previous connections really were your lifeline exactly. there. Because there's two people that you knew. Yeah. 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 That guy's name is Tony. He's still wow. clean to this day uh -huh. from what I know. Yeah. So I think he's got 12 or 13 years now. Yeah. Sweet. So what was your experience working the steps the first time? What was one of the steps that was really different than you thought it was going to be? The, that the results were different than what you thought it was going to be? Four and five. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And 12, really. 11 and 12, I would say. 4 and 5 and 11 and 12. Um, 4 and 5 is inventory and talking to another person, and 11 and 12 is... Prayer and meditation, meditation. carrying the message Mm -hmm. and practicing the principles in all my affairs. So when I first got to AA this time, I I waited about a year before I worked any steps. I had like a handful of sponsors. I think some of them were good. Some of them were kind of jackasses, to tell you the truth. Uh, You know, I was was doing the best I could just on my own willpower. Mm -hmm. And my life had gotten a lot better. You know, I had a job. I was in a halfway house, like... uh, my physical health was getting back. I think my mental health was doing a little bit better, you know, than it It's really, been. you know, it's hard at first to, what is my willpower and what is God's help? I mean, what does that mean? I felt like when I was first getting sober that it was me doing it. And I would, and my sponsor would jump on me going, you don't have anything to do with it. And I was like, Whoa, okay. <laughs> I felt but I the didn't same really way. understand that. <laughs> I didn't get that for a long time. And, you know, I think that was a big part of the thing. Like, honestly, that first year, like, I was using the the meetings, coffee, fellowship, my halfway house, things like that to keep me sober. But I really feel like a lot of it was willpower. You know, I'm mm-hmm. sure there was some, some God power in there, some higher power. I didn't have any connection or consciousness with it. I, I think there's a certain amount of that comes from the group, like... You like to say, Sam, the what is it that the the traditions keep us sober? The, the traditions, tra- the tra- excuse me, the the traditions get us sober. Yeah, and the the steps keep us sober. Yeah, which means it's the people yeah. and the organization of Alcoholics Anonymous that supports us and holds us until we can get to the place where we can really dive deep and find out what's really going on. Yeah, exactly, and you know, it, it, sitting here and and, and and listening to this, what one of the things that just came to mind was that you get a grace period. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, when, when it's finally time and, and, and that's different for all of us. I mean, for me, it was that, that suicide attempt. And then I still drank 42 days later and then I was done, but I got a grace period of eight months that the fellowship carried me mm-hmm. that the, obsession was removed was gone but i knew that i had to work the steps to keep it gone yeah you needed to go deeper yeah but i think you get a great spirit but this is what i've heard because i've not gone out since i came into aa mm-hmm. but i've heard people go out and when they come back they don't really get a grace period it is hard i've heard the same you don't get this beautiful uh, pink cloud that we call it sometimes. It's work. That's what I've heard as well. I mean, that's where with my restart, and it's one of the reasons I continue to call it a restart rather than going out because I never left. You know, and I was very fortunate that, yeah, it sucked when I started over six years ago, but I didn't have to go through any of what I was going through when I first started. Mm Mm-hmm. So, John, tell us about step four and and five, the inventory, and what was it about that? that... So this is the first time I've ever done an inventory, and I was completely honest about every single thing. Because you'd done it before, but you had... Yeah, I bullshitted it. Bullshitted a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Embellished. Embellished. Yeah, sure. (laughs) However you want to say it. You embellished quite a bit, didn't you, Dr. Love? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there was a lot of things that were a lot longer this time. (laughs) Dr. Love. (laughs) 
Um, so the funny thing about my fourth step this time was, um, so I did my fourth and fifth right at a year sober. Um, and I have been surviving, like I said, pretty much on fellowship and coffee. And, and I knew if I don't do this, I'm going to get drunk soon, you know, mm-hmm. or I am going to probably kill myself in sobriety, which was going to suck. So, you know, I just got with this sponsor who was a hundred percent about the steps. We, we went over one, two and three in about an hour, you know, right on Tate street outside of a cafe. And he told me to go home and start making this long series of lists. And he broke it down really easy. And he told me to make a list of every person, place, thing, spiritual principle, whatever that I've got a resentment against. And I was like, done. Like, that's super easy. I make the joke. I pretty much just transferred my hit list, you know, onto a piece of paper. And, <laughs> well, uh, that's the real trick of the steps is it's easy. To, I mean, they, they get you stuck plugged in with your resentments and oh, I can name my resentments. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and truthfully, man, I think the first like five or six people I wrote down, I was going to kill, you know, I, I would obsess about killing these people, you know, and I had the plan like, you know, quadruple homicide, suicide thing. Like I, I really, you know, I was, I was crazy. And I found out too, there was like, I had a bunch written down, you know, closer to a hundred, I think, you know, 80, 90, a hundred, hundred names written down. And, um, you know, my sponsor just made it so easy and he would just tell me, okay, next list. Uh, why do you have a resentment? You know, next list. Why, what does this affect? You know, ne- next list. And, and, and that's really how I went about it. Um, until I was tearing it up. I think I did my whole entire four step in about two weeks. Uh, with a beach vacation in the middle of writing. And that's one of the things, too, when people just put their fourth steps off forever and ever and ever. I'm like, dude, come on, you're just not writing. That's uh, exactly <laughs> it. It doesn't take long if you'll just sit down and do it. I think total work I put into it was about 12 to 14 hours of writing. You know, mm-hmm. that was my entire fourth step. But, you know, I was I was brutally honest. And, and the cool thing is, like, I remember having a spiritual awakening throughout the course of just writing my fourth step. You know, and that really? was, a big, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I remember texting my sponsor being like, just finishing up my resentments inventory and being like, oh my God, like these people never did anything to me. Like I was always the one that was like setting the ball rolling or whatever. And that was, I had never seen it from that angle. Before. Wow. You saw what was actually going on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I saw like the causes and conditions. And I think most importantly is like, I saw how my behavior put me in a position to be harmed. You know, and those people that I was going to kill uh, never did anything wrong to me. You know, that I would have been the worst guy for doing that, you know. Um, and then the fear part, same thing. Like, I was one of those ones, like, man, I was fucking tough when I got here. I had been to prison. I had been living on the streets. I was super violent. I, in my mind, I wasn't afraid of anything. You know, my only fears were, like, relapsing and then maybe my parents dying or something, you know. And I, I commenced to write that fears inventory. And I remember texting my sponsor halfway through with that and being like, dude, I am afraid of everything, you know. And he was just like, keep writing, keep writing. You know? it was so good. It. Yeah. And I think that was like a – those two, the fears and resentments were like a huge turning point for me right then and there. And, you know, I went on to do my uh, sexual inventory and, and, and he had me do my harms to others as well. And, you know, my sex inventory, like I honestly thought like for the most part, I was probably a pretty good lover, boyfriend, whatever. Um, you know, I thought, yeah, at least also a decent like casual sex partner. And I found out like none of that was really true. Uh, at all. I wasn't even a good one night stand for the most part. Um, you know? <laughs> And, you know, I got to see how my sexual conduct really affected other people and put me in a position where I, you know, I could be hurt as well, you know, which would less important, I guess. But like, uh, I saw how, you know, my sex conduct was like, just, uh, you know, a riot for the most part. And then I think honestly, I don't want to say it's one of the most important, but one of the most like revealing things to me 
was my harms to others. Because I knew I was a criminal. I knew I was like a pretty just terrible person for the most part. I knew I really enjoyed hurting people as well. But what it came down to when I did that portion of my inventory was I saw how my thinking caused me to act the way that I was, you know, and it really revealed a lot to me is like, the truth is like, I didn't really like hurting people, you know, like I thought I did. I did a lot of those things because I was afraid, you know, I did Mm -hmm. a lot of those things just because, you know, I didn't know a different way to go about living. Upon seeing all those things, like I I think even before I did my fifth step, I was ready to have that stuff removed from me. You know, I wanted to be another person at that point that Mm -hmm. that opened the door to to me changing. Wow. Saw yourself as you really are rather than the the fiction that 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 we build about ourselves to be able to continue to drink and never be wrong. <laughs> well, and that's one of the things that is so important about doing the this fourth step in, you know, write it down on paper when yeah. it's in front of me in black and white. It's the writing it down is powerful. Yeah, it's it, there it then it's undeniable. Yeah. It's in my face. But while it's rattling around in my head, I can't nail it down. Mm-hmm. I, I cannot make that thing. Flip. Yeah, I, exactly. <laughs> it's a little flipping all of a sudden, it's not true, or it's changed, or something shiny happens, and I'm on to the next thing. Yeah, <laughs> can't, can't hold on to it. Yeah, That's I love right. that you. That, so I love that you, you say that you know spiritual awakening started for you with with doing with oh, writing yeah. your fourth yeah, step. Absolutely. So many of us experience that you know in this four and five area, but it's when we're doing five, Mm -hmm. it's when our sponsor is like, Hey, have you looked at it from this angle? Mm -hmm. And that was shown to you while you were writing your fourth. That's really exactly. Yeah. And I really say that spiritual awakening commenced for me sometimes between four and nine. Uh, however, like really, I, it was a big impact when I was doing my fourth. So can you describe what your what the spiritual awakening was that you got from the self-realization that you were getting from, I guess, from the honesty of doing the writing? What was happening to you that you would say was spiritual? My thinking began to change. I remember, I think it was like, I don't know, a week or so after doing my fifth step. And I was one of those ones, too. I thought I was going to do my fifth, go to bed, wake up, you know, had having done six and seven and Ooh, like bright lights and everything and all this and that. Like, you know, that wasn't the case. I think I probably woke up the next morning and told a lie or something like right off gate. But um, <laughs> we are not rendered white as snow. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um, but but really having like having realized like, wow, I'm having a spiritual awakening happen. I'm pretty sure I was driving. Something happened that pissed me off or whatever. I was getting angry about something. And, and I immediately just stopped and began doing an inventory and was like, Oh wow! Like I've got no right to be angry about this, and then I think I stopped again and was like, "Holy shit! Yeah. Like this is working! <laughs> like this yeah. is real! You know, this yeah. is tangible." It's a different way of thinking. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and I really think my spiritual awakening. Um, I went through a really big portion of my life to where I was like, "Oh God, God, God!" There's not Jesus or anything. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But like a uh, higher power and stuff. And 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 I really love that. Um, what is it? That that appendix in the back of the big book. I think it's Appendix 2, Spiritual Awakening, i.e. Spiritual Experience, whatever, Mm -hmm. um, Psychic Change. Reading that really kind of uh, educated me on what I believe my spiritual experience was. And I truly believe really just 
to define it, it was a psychic change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism, you know, and that's what happened to me. My thinking changed. Mm -hmm. And I love the breakdown of that to be so simple. My thinking changed. Exactly. You know, I can get so lost or, or I can find the words to be such an obstacle of a spiritual experience, a spiritual awakening, a psychic change. I mean, this sounds like mumbo jumbo when I came into these rooms and and it's like, and it's one of those things. It's like, they're not necessarily my first choice of words today, Yeah, but my thinking changed. I remember simple. Yeah. I remember my first year, you know, really thinking like my only problem is drinking and doing drugs. You know, um, and a bunch of old timers would say, nah, like the real problem lies in my mind or whatever. And I'd be like, nah, you're kind of full of shit. Like maybe that's for you, but that's not my problem. Like I'm pretty fucking smart, witty, whatever. Uh, my problem's drinking. And then like doing that fourth and fifth, I was like, whoa, the problem's in my mind. Like I get it. Now I see it. You know, you're right. <laughs> that's so cool when it's, it becomes a, a tangible thing, a real thing that happened to me. The spiritual experience is a real thing to happen to me. Something similar happened to me when I was driving from a job. I'm a house painter, and I'd been having trouble with the designer and the client, and it got settled. But it, but I was driving, and all of a sudden, I started looking at my thinking, which I'd never done before. <laughs> So I was calling it a committee because it was like these voices going, yeah, but he was wrong when he said this. And then this other voice goes, yeah, but you are really a piece of shit (laughs) because they don't think very much of you. And the other one's going, yeah, but what you need to do is go in there and tell them. And I was going, what are all, what is all this going on? The itty bitty shitty committee. The itty bitty shitty committee was having a party and, and I was unaware of it until that moment. Yeah, I was aware yeah. of it. And it so it was a spiritual experience. It's like, wow, this is and so this is now now we're talking about things that are real. This isn't you can say a psychic change, but I'm talking about, oh, my perception of the way that I think and operate is has become clearer. Yeah. And it's a real thing. This isn't somebody telling me it works. This yeah. is me experiencing it working. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That is, that's so cool. And I think really at that point, that's when I probably really worked stuff too. Well, I, at that point, I believed this, that I will mm-hmm. be restored to sanity if I keep doing this. And that's what I loved. I shared in a meeting that we were both at recently that, you know, my sponsor, my first sponsor broke it down the steps even simpler than 12 for me. And it was one is the problem, two is the answer, and three through 12 are how you get to the answer. <laughs> oh, wow. And that's mm-hmm. how it worked for yeah. me, too. Yeah. Yeah. I had that same experience with step three going over, you know, I said, Rick and I did one, two, and three in about an hour or whatever. He sent me home to do my fourth, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I don't I don't get this whole, like, God thing. I don't get step three. He's like, make the list. And I was like, but hold on, dude. Like, I don't get the God thing. He was like, write the fucking list. You know what I'm saying? And sometime, once again, between, yeah. like, uh, between yeah. four and nine, I was like, oh, I get step three now. Like, it makes yeah. sense, you know? Yeah, my sponsor moved me on real quick on step three because I, I really wanted to understand God just to – turn our will and our lives over to a God as we understand him. And I was like, yeah, but wait a minute. I don't understand him. Let's talk about this. And he was going, Don, there is a God and you're not it. Yeah. And so let's move on. And also he, another thing he said was, do you believe I believe? And I 
absolutely had to believe that he believed. It was yeah. clear that he did. So he's going, yep. And he said, okay, then just use mine and let's move on. It'll work out. <laughs> and people are confident in AA. That's the beauty of, of the way the steps are. They're, we're confident that if you go through the whole process, something's going to happen. And then it'll be real. Trust the process is what I continue to hear. Yeah. Trust the process. Yeah. You know, I I didn't get clear on this until the general service study meeting that we have here in Greensboro that um, where we're reading the general service manual. And this is like a really dense material. And I've, I've shared several times to the group that, you know, listen, you're not going to get this as we go through it. It's once you've gone through it and then you look at it again that you realize, oh my God, I got a whole lot more than I thought I did. And that's when I've, I've gotten some clarity of like, that's what it was like for me with the steps too. That's right. You got to go through it all and you're going to get a whole lot. You're going to realize that you've gotten a whole lot more than you think you did. Yeah. There's definitely a huge difference between being educated on something and then like applying something in your life. Hugely. Yeah. <laughs> I can know all about this stuff and it will not do a damn thing yeah. unless I'm <laughs> acting. Exactly. You said, um, Step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. That's where the understood him. Well, that's no, it's in step three, too. As we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. I heard somebody say recently, and I really like this, that conscious contact is like, I, he was talking to a sponsor. Conscious contact, I just don't know what that is. I just, I just can't do it. Is it? And his sponsor said, do you ever think of God? <laughs> yes. Okay, that's conscious contact. Simple there enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's got to be more complicated. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> really? So it's just up to me to think of God, to spend some time doing that every yeah, day. Exactly. To make it real exactly. in my life. It's not, it's not part of my life if I don't do it every day, so... I see a lot of people really try to overcomplicate this stuff, make a huge deal out of working these steps, and they stress out over all this stuff. When in reality, like, I just want to shake and be like, chill out, man. Like, just try it, and it'll work. You know what I'm saying? And, like, sometimes people, like, do that, you know? And then it's funny, they're, you know, down the line, they're like, dude, I'm so glad I just chilled out and, like, did it because it totally worked. You know, and that was my experience as well. Like, spent a long time freaking out, overanalyzing all this stuff, thinking – uh, I've got to have it like a textbook, uh, problem answer, you know, and it wasn't like that. It was just like, I asked a bunch of questions, how to apply this stuff in my life. I started applying it in my life and then the answers just came, you know, have you got any sponsees? Yeah, absolutely. Have, have you helped people through the steps? I have sadly, uh, not that many, uh -huh. you know, not through all 12 at least, you know, I get a lot of people to four and uh -huh. then, uh, then they fire themselves. <laughs> <laughs> And you're and you're sponsoring mostly young people, right? Yeah, for the most part, um, thirty and below. It seems like uh, I think I've had a few people in their forties and fifties, but same story. They just don't stick around, really. Mm -hmm. So, what do you tell them to do the how to do the four step? Exactly the way my sponsor had me do it. I tell them to go home and make one list. You know, I give them a direction. Write one name skip a line, write the next name, skip a line, you know, and I tell, I'm super big on this cause I, I really try to overcomplicate mine. And, uh, I tell them, I don't care if you call me and ask me the same question 40 times, I will answer the phone and give you the same answer 
40 times. I just want you to do this. Yeah. You know, that's it. And then. So you break it down one list at a time. One list at a time. You finish it. You text or call me. I'll put you on the next one. Mm-hmm. That's great. So yeah. Clear and simple directions. Clear and simple. You know, and I always say too, like the hard, the most difficult part about writing my inventory was throwing my phone in the corner, closing my computer, turning my TV off, telling my friends I can't hang out today. That was the most difficult part. The rest of it was honestly pretty simple. Just getting started. Just getting started. Yeah. yeah. What did yeah. you What did you say, Sam? The heart, the biggest obstacle for you going to the gym is or, the front door. It's the front door. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> And that's just what you're saying, John. Yeah. Just put the stuff down and do it. Yeah, exactly. That's get right. started and the it'll w- happen. The way I see it, if you can get sat at a desk, you can do your whole four stuff in probably a day. Mm-hmm. You know, no problem. Really? I didn't know. Your description of, uh, what'd you say, 18 hours, I, I didn't spend that much time doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's really just writing down the names. Now, I took two weeks to do it. I carried a little notebook and would uh, think of people that I had resentments for and, like, you know, kind of sit with it for a little while to see if anything bubbled up. And then I'd write down in my notebook. It ended up being really thorough doing it that way. But but really, the amount of time spent was, I mean, it was like four hours. Yeah. I, mean, I think mine was about 12. Yeah. You know? I don't know how many. Uh, I hours didn't have I eighty names. Well, yeah, I, did, I did not have a hit list. <laughs> I didn't have a but, hit list. You know, I, mine was was a little different than uh, than what I, what what y'all have described. In that, uh, my my sponsor gave me forms to fill yeah. out, and they were like twentieth generation copies. So I had to recreate them on the computer because you know I'm a control freak. <laughs> and then I started doing my fourth step on, you're like on the doing, computer. You're, you're like doing you're like doing the fonts. Yes, right, totally. I okay. completely recreated the forms. Okay. Excel fourth step. Yes, yes, exactly. And and I had like nine pages and I would take my laptop to the coffee shop and 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 work on it for an hour or so. And then I'd go to a meeting. And that was a key thing for me because my fourth step took me to some dark places. And I knew that going to a meeting was good for me to do to get out of the dark places. Right. But it took me several months to do my fourth step because I would work on it for a while and start feeling better. So I'd stop working mm-hmm. on it. Oh. And, and then I'd start feeling like shit again. It's like, oh, I guess I better do some more work. <laughs> and, and finally I did it. But I did a deadline with my sponsor uh, to do my fifth step scheduled that and that's what made me finish my fourth but i liked what you were talking about john about you know you you wanted the clear-cut answers i got to figure this out i want the textbook here's the problem here's the answer and all that and that's exactly what i was trying to do in so much of this and i thankfully got aware of it that i can't stop me from trying to figure this stuff out that's just how i'm wired so what I had to do was get that out from in front of me and put it over on the side and let that little figure out or just kind of spin its wheel on the side here and still do what's in front of yeah. me. And with the fourth step, I wound up printing those things out. I printed out all the work that I had done because what I realized was this is a mess and it's going to be messy. So I wound up printing it out and writing all over that work, all over those pages, in the margins, on the backs, everywhere, 
to finish my fourth step because this couldn't be nice and pretty. No. It wasn't nice and pretty. No. I had shit taped together, different colors. I had everything <laughs> folded up, coffee spilled on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and the big thing is, like you said, John, just do it. Just do it. Get started. So what's your uh, recovery like on a daily basis now, John? What do you do? How do you stay sober today? I'm super big on service work, and I'm super big. I, I guess like what most people trying to carry the message to those who are still suffering. Um, you know, I, I try to get really involved in my home group. I, I try to, you know, especially just sharing in meetings. Sometimes I go to meetings and I, and I usually share at least like, you know, about every meeting I go to. And sometimes I think like, God, dude, shut up. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you share like every meeting. And at the same time, like I recognize that like I really share like that for the for the right purpose of like, I want to make sure that someone hears the solution in here, you know, and I spent a lot of time going to newcomer meetings and, uh, you can hear some crazy shit in those meetings. And, uh, <laughs> I, I like to make sure that there is some, at least like 12 step solution in there. And um, that's good as well. So I started working with a new sponsor about a year ago. I was kind of, I don't want to say I was like drying out, but I was getting pretty stagnant in my recovery and, uh, my so my new sponsor's name is Mike. He's out of Raleigh. He um he really introduced me to it, it's funny to say, but like the second half of humility, which I never really knew existed, you know. And I always thought humility being that like uh, I'm really not that important. Uh, I'm just a drop in the bucket compared to everyone else. Like uh, I'm here to do my do you know do my thing and then probably die with the rest of them or or, or you know that other part of humility where you're kind of like you know I need to like humble myself, I guess. That's what, that's what I always think about. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just mm-hmm. admit I'm wrong, this or that. So my sponsor really kind of put me on the second half of humility, which is like, you know, without God, I am nothing. However, with God, I can do anything, you know, and I've got so much potential to help other people. I've got so much capacity to, to do good in the world and, you know, just in the community, you know, and I've always made my world so small, you know, like I've got a job, I go to AA, I've got a couple friends like this and that. And like, since then, like my world has exploded. It seems like, you know, I've been out trying to do so much. I've gotten to the point where I'd spend time helping people outside of Alcoholics Anonymous as well. You know, I, I help people with their finances, you know, I help people with relationship problems, you know, all all sorts of stuff that, and, and I do it all. I believe in the name of God for the most part that I really try not to take credit for any of it. And I think for the most part, like I've done a pretty good job of that. It seems like I've heard a definition of humility being the knowing the true source of my power. Exactly. Oh, I like yes. that. Yeah. I love that. And that, you know, it's a, if that's where my focus is, then I can be confident to move forward. But if, if I'm doing power driving and forcing my will on something, well then I'm not, that's not coming from a higher power. Yeah. And I've heard too, that uh, humility um, is being right sized. And I, I came from that place that you were describing John too, of that meant that I was playing things too big and I needed to like get smaller. I needed to get humble and, and you know, this, that, and the, and what it also means is not playing too small. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I need to, where, where I've got talents, where I have God-given gifts, what these things that I can do, I should do. Yeah. And that I that's part of my humility too is stepping up and owning the stuff that I can do well. 
I think the cool the cool thing too is like since we're talking about all this humility and whatnot, like um, really, I've so I've spent the last year trying my best to begin aligning my will with what I think God's will is for my for my life. You know, and, and I think for the most part, I've done a pretty good job of that. And it's funny because now, like, I lit- I tell people, like, dude, I do whatever I want, you know, whenever I want. And the funny thing is, is, like, the things that I want to do are the things that I'm supposed to do. You know, I want to get up at 7.05 every morning and go to work. And then I also want to get off, go to an AA meeting. I want to spend time helping people. I want to, you know share the the gifts of my life with others you know and, it, and it's really cool just being able to do that knowing like that's what i want to do because before i want to sleep in i definitely don't want to go to work i don't want to help anyone you know how do you know what god's will is i don't you know but i think i know a lot of the times i've been wrong before too especially yeah. in relationships but mm-hmm. you know um I, I, spending that little bit of time praying and meditating it, it seems for the most part that um, I think if I'm doing something God doesn't want me to do, it'll be revealed to me. That's why we, we have an inventory and we exactly continue to do the inventory. And if we go off course, we can catch ourselves. Exactly. And I, this is a totally honest program. And like, I've got to say too, like, you know, I, I've talked a really good game up until this point, make myself look great, but like my life is not always super great. And I still do things to harm other people unintentionally, you know, and I still act really selfishly. Um, I don't think I'm necessarily like really dishonest anymore, but like that selfishness and self-centered catches up to me. And expe- especially like the past several, eh, two months, my sex conduct has been kind of getting out of control a little bit. Um, and I've done harm to a couple people and I, I've done my absolute best to make those things right. But, uh, still those are, those are iffy situations when it, when it comes to toying around with very much, you know, too much. So I don't want to give the impression to anyone that like, I'm some holy high roller here doing everything right. Like that's not true at all. But the, the cool thing that has happened is that that psychic change, that change in your thinking has happened such that the discomfort of holding yourself in a place of having caused harm is, is too much. That discomfort is too much. And, you know, for me, that means I'm willing to do stuff about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm not willing to stuff down the, the discomfort and 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 just kind of pack it on and more and more and until someday I'm just like I can't stand the way I feel anymore. I've got to do something to not feel this. What do I do? I get drunk. In yeah. our, in our big book study, we're right now reading the part in the big book of, about our prayer at night, and it gives directions to do an inventory. Is to ask, where have I been selfish? Where have I been self-centered? Is there anyone I've harmed? Is there anything I've done that I should have shared with someone else? Should I have talked to my sponsor about something and hadn't done it? And so I've been doing this every night, which, again, I did it when I first got sober. It's been a while. And it's incredible. But that's where I can catch myself if I'm doing that inventory then I have an opportunity to go, oh, no, there's that. I was, I was out of line there. And do, and one of them is, do I owe any, any amends? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I need to do that. I need, need to correct that. So The spiritual life is not a theory. We it's, have to live it. It's not a theory, no. It, it's a job of work. Yeah, <laughs> the really spiritual is. life but it's a, a it, But it's inspired work. It's not tough. It's not hard work. It's really not. 
You know, I mean, the hardest part is usually biting the bullet and having to say to someone like, hey, I messed up, you know, from my experience, yeah. at least. Yeah. But having made amends a lot of times, I understand the benefit I get from doing that. Absolutely. It's worth doing, even though it's difficult to do. I like thinking, too, I may be the only copy of a big book that anyone ever sees, reads, or meets, you know, and, and I got to do my best to practice these principles in all my affairs, especially when I've done something wrong. I think that says a whole lot, not just necessarily about AA, but about society as a whole, that there are people who can mess up and, and go out of their way to make it right. And I think that's super important. Absolutely. I'm 100% behind that because it's, it's the, um, to borrow a phrase from Steel Magnolias, it's the people who are carved out of cream cheese that, you know, they're just shiny and perfect and everything works in their lives and all that. That just doesn't seem real. Yeah. That doesn't seem attainable. I can't relate. But when you screw up and then you clean it up mm -hmm. and you share about what happened... I can relate to that, and that's something that I can use in my life. Yeah. That's something that I can follow. Yeah, exactly. I like it. So, if you're the only copy of the big book, are you going to have a tattoo of like the Serenity Prayer printed on your forehead and maybe the steps down the neck and on the right arm? That's a little <laughs> excessive, Don. I was going to say, I've got some pretty bad tattoos, but uh, <laughs> no AA tattoos. No AA <laughs> I got a tattoo gun there in the closet, yeah. man. <laughs> John, thanks for joining us, but don't go anywhere and protect your head. <laughs> See if you can catch that thing, John. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> It's time for our old-timers question. Who you calling an old-timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. That, when you reach my age, you have to run to the restroom once every hour. I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Insert flushing sound. <laughs> you can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org. Uh, we have a question here, and I find it so fortuitous with what you were sharing a few minutes ago, John, uh, and getting a new sponsor, that this question is is the one. So, Don, old timer, who we actually know is a middle timer, <laughs> a middle timer, middle timer. In all your years of sobriety, have you experienced an on again, off again relationship with AA? That's from Karina in Digital City. On again, off again. Relationship with AA. With AA. Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing that as like, have, have you kind of like gotten over it at times? It's kind of like, Ugh. it's but Yeah, it's, it's been constant. I'm constantly, well, I go through periods of time where I back off. And I say, oh, I don't need to go to a meeting. So many meetings. I, you know, maybe I can not go to a meeting on Thursday night. And I'm, you know... I can cut back on prayer and meditation. I've done that so many times. And I'll catch myself. I start getting squirrely. And then refocus. Come back and, and dive back into the full program. So, I mean, it's a matter of a balance of how much AA do I need. And we've made that joke many a time. You just cut back on meetings one at a time and, until you drink and then add one. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's <laughs> like, let's not do that. But that's I've played with it and played with it. And I've gotten to a place where I know how many meetings I need to go to. 
to not get squirrely, to not be dissatisfied with life. I need to have a couple of sponsees. I need to make daily telephone calls to somebody within AA. And I need to do my morning prayer and meditation. And now I'm doing a, a uh, inventory at night before I fall asleep. And if I do these things, I'm like, I'm on the beam. <laughs> mm. and, it's, and it's way easier to accept the things I cannot change. And when I don't do these things, it becomes harder and harder to have acceptance of stuff that I, the world doesn't operate the way I think it should. And, it, it, and <laughs> thank God, and if it would, everything my would life run would a lot suck smoother. My life would suck if it ran the way you think it should. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and my life would suck if it ran the way you think it should. So, Sunny, it's, it's sunny. I'll tell you that much. I had a conversation with a guy who's not in AA. And he honestly said to me, he was bitching about something with the way the garbage delivery came and the way that they picked up the garbage. And he said, if they would just, I tell you, if if they would just do it the way I think it should be done, it would run a lot better. <laughs> I'm going, yeah, I bet it would. <laughs> I mean, it was just pure as can be. Well, it's not true. And, you know, I've accepted. And I can accept that the world doesn't operate the way that I expect it to when I'm fully involved in the program of recovery mm. and in AA. What about you, John? On again, off again with AA, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think the past couple of years I've been, I've been working a lot on consistency, right? And for the most part, meeting attendance, I think I've remained pretty damn consistent the entire time I've been sober, there may be some oddball weeks here and there. Even recently, I missed a couple of my home group meetings back to back. What I experience problems with is feeling connected to my fellows. And and I've had some on again, off again time, like practicing the steps and the principles and all my affairs. Uh, however, recently that, that has not been the case. Um, I've done a lot to stay really consistent with those things. And it's cool because I don't have to have those like, oh, my life sucks times. Or like, oh, things are great times. For the most part, things are pretty all right the majority of the time. I've got a really bad, mm, I don't want to say a bad mental health issue or whatever, but I've got like a mental health thing to where I spend a lot of time feeling disconnected from my fellows. And sometimes I allow my actions to reinforce that disconnect. That's probably one of my biggest problems um, and just the way I feel like a lot of times I can walk in my home group and feel like, whew, like I'm about to help someone tonight, you know what I'm saying? But a lot of times I can walk in my home group too and feel like, man, these people don't even want me here, you know what I'm saying? And, and that's a really bad feeling. Would so, you say that's your default feeling? Because I have a default feeling that is similar to that, and, and if I work the program, I don't have it. I think that probably was my default feeling for a long time. I think now my default feeling is walking in a place and either thinking of how I'm going to enjoy this or thinking of how I'm going to be of service, you know, whether it's rewired. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I honestly think my brain's been rewired. I also think if I let up on a spiritual program of action, I will go back to that's yeah, what I, negative. Yeah. yeah. That's what that's I mean. Me by Absolutely. That's yeah. me too. Yeah. But, um, so I'm a big feeling like, so my meeting attendance is extremely regular. 
Uh, my fellowship may be irregular, and I believe my step work now has been extremely regular. Um, that feeling I talked about, because I'm super, I don't want to say I'm like, I'm like against feelings or whatever, but like I do not give a lot of play to the way I feel. I give a lot of play to my you. actions. You know, I, I, I think that's extremely important to me. So no matter how I feel, um, I make a pretty big effort to show up and just do what I know is right, even mm-hmm. if I'm not feeling inspired at that point in time. You know, I think that's really important. And through doing that, honestly, I'm going to, to, to just answer that question. Yeah, I think early on I experienced a big on again, off again part with AA. Yeah, and I've only been sober like five, five and a half years, whatever. I think for the most part, the last couple of years, I've been super consistent, you know, and I'm glad. I'm really grateful I have too. So. My experience with this has been, I'm going to lead with gratitude. I am so grateful that we have... 136 meetings a week here in the Greensboro area. Wow. Because one of the things that that lets me do is go to different meetings. Whenever I'm not feeling it, I can go to a different meeting and get a different experience of AA. I've changed home groups only twice here in the Greensboro area. Um, I, you know, I'd moved away at one point, but but you know, I started off in one one group. I uh, was there for four years or so. Was in another home group for um, for six years, and now I'm in another home group. You know, each one I've gotten. It's kind of like working with a different sponsor. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you outgrow a, a sponsor or the relationship changes, and that's happened for me with the home group. So that's been one of those things where the on again, off again, for me uh, has shown up in my feeling like I'm being fed, you know, feeling like I'm getting what I need. I know that I've got a job to give as well, and I certainly have tried to do that. But, you know, this is also a a thing for me to get. It doesn't need to be hard for me to do these things. And if I'm finding that it's difficult for me to do some things, consistently difficult, not that I've got a task to do and and I don't want to do it, but consistently I really don't want to go, then maybe it's time to look at what other options are available. Maybe God is moving me into another uh, down down a different path. So I've experienced over the years. I mean, I've been coming around for 15 years, and I have have absolutely had on again, off again. Uh, the biggest on again, off again, though, that I continue to experience is with meditation. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have had it off a hell of a lot more than I've had it on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I continue it's to hard. pick it up and try again. And you know, for me, prayer was one of those things. I had to have a reminder in my phone to tell me to do it when I first started this. And now it's just a part of my na- daily life. And I don't just mean first thing in the morning. I mean throughout the day. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the on-again, off-again thing that I've experienced, it depends on where I am spiritually as well. You know, there are meetings that uh, I, I love the tale about a meeting where, you know, so-and-so read the uh, the tools wrong and so-and-so told the same story that she always tells and, and so-and-so screwed up the chips and, you know, this, that, and the other. And, and then you hear so-and-so... Uh, can read and and is getting better at reading the the steps and I just love so and so's story I love it when she tells that and oh that was really cool that he finally tried to do the chips and it was the same fucking meeting yeah. yes you know mm-hmm. um, 
that uh, that type of thing is wholly me, and that's where my on again, off again comes from, is in my head. Uh, so uh, th- there's this thing also about prayer. Uh, it says in, in, in the big book or the 12 and 12 that you know there will come a time, I, I think it says to the effect that w- there will come a time when I'm not going to feel it. Mm-hmm. And what we do when that comes is we continue doing the things that we can do mm-hmm. until that returns. That, that's what John was saying about not trusting my feelings. I'm not going to let my feelings rule what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I experienced that a lot with my connection with God too. You know what I'm saying? Some yeah. some weeks or days I feel really close to my higher power and then other days I'm like, yeah, where'd you go? You know? Right. Same time. Like even though that is somewhat frightening, my experience has been as long as my actions continue to reinforce like the program, uh, I think all is going to be well, regardless of how I feel about yeah. it. So. I don't care if I believe in God or not. I'm still going to do all the actions. Yeah. And in doing the actions, I've found that I believe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Works if you work it. Thanks for joining us today. Thank Absolutely. you guys very much for having me. Thanks so much, John. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. We're just going to completely remove John from the whole thing, right? I have a quibble.